Are we okay? We're almost okay? Oh, that's got to be up on the extension cord that hangs over this front of the podium. There's an extension for the USB. There we go. Whew. Good morning. A little rocky start here, but that's okay. If you're a guest here this morning, and I do see that there are a few of you, we're glad you came. Good to see you. If you can, stick around a little bit and let us get to know you. That would be a wonderful thing. Uh, to everyone, Happy New Year, right? 2020, first Sunday of the new year. What a great thing to do. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to tell you that my name is Mike Duffield, and I serve as an elder here for the church, which means that I'm not the regular speaker, and you'll notice the rest of that right away as we get going. Also, um, I've had a lot of people asking me this morning already, uh, how am I doing? How am I feeling? I've not been here for two weeks because someone offered me the opportunity to take a, a sinus congestion and let it go bacterial, and it did, and so I have not been uh, able to be here, but it is good to be back. That means I'm getting healthy, and that's a good thing, and I may cough a couple times here, but I'll try to avoid that. Uh, first thing I wanted you to notice this morning was who's leading our services. We have young people leading our services. This is a wonderful thing to see. You're going to see that uh, hopefully more and more often. Uh, Kirk did coordinate all that for us, so that's very good. Uh, we have a couple of things to do this morning. Actually, three. Oops, I lost my background. Boy, that's really hard to see, isn't it? Hopefully that's not going to be true for the whole presentation, but we'll see. Uh, we're going to take a look back at 2019, kind of a year in review, quick year in review. And then we're going to take a look forward to 2020, to what this year is going to be looking like. And then we'll go right into a lesson out of Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Let's see what happens here. Oh, my. Okay. Well, we're going to make do. We're going to make do. Let's look back first. Uh, from 1978 to 1989, New York City's mayor was named Ed Koch. Very interesting guy. He was what I would call a New York character, okay? And whenever he showed up anywhere to do anything publicly, what you got was, how am I doing? He always would introduce himself that way and in that manner. How am I doing? And we all want to know, how are we doing? It's a question that we ask ourselves, if we're thoughtful people at all, over and over and over again. We want to know where we stand. We want to know where we fit in. We want to know how we are today, perhaps, or if we're on the right path, or if we're going in the right direction. We want to know our condition. We want to know if we're healthy, and it's a valid question. When we look back and ask that question, uh, there are a lot of things that will probably show up about that, and we'll talk about that a little more. Um, rather than focusing on things financial or building things that we've done in the last year, I'm not going to talk about that at all. Instead, I'm going to focus on a couple of other things. Uh, what I want to do is this. Sometimes the background is there. That's good. 
I went through the bulletin and got a sense of the events that took place for this congregation last year. And some of the numbers are estimated as to how many times these things took place. But this gives you an idea of the things that we did over the course of the year. Now, the problem with looking back at things like this is that they don't talk to you a lot about spiritual involvement. They don't talk to you a lot about what is going on in the inner people, inner person, as we gather together. But, oh my, you've had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of things this last year. And it's good. Um, it, what it does is it offers us a, a look to see how we used our time. Um, I don't really know how to measure spiritual growth other than to say if you're growing in faith and growing stronger, then you will do things. You will do things. It's a response to that growth. And doing things may show up in these kind of things, these numerical things. Now, the numerical things that we see here are primarily building-related, in other words, things that happened here, although some of them are not. Uh, but here's my overall observation about 2019. We changed in the course of the year. We are not who we were a year ago, January. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's been good uh, change, I think. I think one of the things that has happened is we've been changed in the sense of we've been nourished so that we will be nourishers. We have been encouraged to go out and actually help others in ways that perhaps we'd never thought of before. And that's good. I think that shows up not only here as we worship together, but I think it shows up in our daily lives as we talk with other people and are part of other events, especially in our communities. We've also changed in that uh, about midway through the year, we received a campus group, uh, Jonathan, McKenzie, and Kurt. This is a big deal for us. We live in a college town, and we now have young people who can relate directly to the college people. And it's a wonderful thing. I think it's been a gift for the university area itself, but it's also been a gift for us because they've jumped in and done things. And wow, it's good, it's positive, it's great stuff. And the last thing I think that we can look at here, uh, just on observing what has happened in the past, is that we have become a more prayerful congregation. We have purposefully put in place opportunities and times for us to go to God in prayer. And I gotta tell you, God is listening because I see changes in people, in choices, and in the congregation, and it is, it is a blessing. We are actively involved, not only in individual prayer, but in corporate prayer, and that's a good thing. Uh, let's talk a little bit now about a vision for 2020, and boy, that's really sad, that background went away. But anyway, uh, looking ahead to 2020, we're gonna see, I think, this coming year more, all right? 
Are you ready for more? We're going to see it. I think we're going to see more of 2019. We're going to see more encouragement to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. More encouragement to be disciples, okay? To serve God because we have learned how to serve God and we're going to respond to that in some way. We're going to see more encouragement to consider this congregation, not just here at the building, but as part of a family. And that means the commitment of being part of a family. And I think that's good, and I think that's healthy. Now, there's another thing that I want to bring up, and it's, it's something that we talk about when, the, when we meet as elders. Too often, we talk about the whole idea of how do we mentor people better than we have? How do we do the thing, us old people, if you will, to help out those young people? How do we do the thing that says, you can be a better person tomorrow than you are today? Now, we can do that by example, okay? We can show up and, and be here a lot, but I think we have to be more active about our whole mentoring process. And that means that if you are of a certain age and you know who I'm talking about, it's time to talk to younger people, to encourage them, to see if you can help them in some way do something they may not have done before. Because in doing that, you will enlighten and enliven yourself as well as that young person. Now, remember that there are a couple of ways to mentor. There's a harsh and unfortunate way, which is never productive, but there's also a healthy way to mentor people. And I would encourage you to head for the healthy direction, if you would. Uh, be loving and compassionate as you help and encourage other people, okay? Don't be heavy-handed or hard. What we're looking for is a change in individuals that leads to maturity, that leads to affirmation of your faith. A very important and a very good thing. And as a prime example of this mentoring process, you're seeing it this morning. It's not me. It's all these young people who are leading our worship. They're people who have been encouraged to do the things that need to be done. The things that are need to be done right now are very visible because we're in worship. But beyond that, there are other things that need to be done and need to be encouraged. And you have an opportunity to do that. So how do we talk about the rest of 2020? Well, I think for me, the best way to do that is to go into our lesson. Uh, the lesson this morning, and let's see what happens. <sighs> Lost the background. Parable of the Ten Virgins, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Um, boy, this is unfortunate, but that's okay. We can go with it. Parable of the Ten Virgins. A very interesting uh, parable for a variety of reasons, and I think that it's something that it does pertain to what we're doing today. Uh, the painting that you see there was given to me, uh, forwarded to me uh, by Calvin. And I think it really portrays well the image of what these ten virgins and their conflict uh, run up against. And we'll talk about that as we get there. I really like that. Um, but I titled this lesson, uh, 
Prepare for the known. Prepare for the known. Keep that in mind as we talk about Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Let's read through that. Oh, good, the background is there. Let's read through that, uh, and then we will uh, talk about the individual pieces. Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are running out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Oh, it's there, I know it is. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So, like in looking at any scripture, you always want to look at the context of what you're dealing with. Where does this fall in Matthew's gospel? you'll notice that it falls very heavy toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Just before this parable, we have Jesus' uh, discourse on the end times, on the times that are coming and and the catastrophes that will be signs of that coming. And he points out very strongly that the time that he's going to return is not knowable. It is unknowable. What happens after this parable? After this parable, we have another, the parable of the, bags, parable of the bag, bags of gold, where servants are given the master's money, the master goes away, and then the uh, master comes back, and the servants are rewarded or not, depending on what they have or have not done. And then after that, Jesus' final discourse talks about the separation of sheep and goats in the last days, in the judgment. A very difficult time. Uh, for everybody. So, in this context, let's look at what the parable is about. Now, remember, uh, a parable is a very specific kind of story. Uh, The the common thing that we say is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay, that's one way of putting it. Uh, Another way to think about it is it's a simple story with a subtext illuminating a scriptural truth. Okay? scriptural truth. Let's see if we get... Okay. I don't know. Each time it's an adventure. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. We'll go through this uh, verse by verse and just talk about some of these things. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
the parable starts out very specifically at that time referring to the end times, okay? That's what the that time means. And it tells us right away that it's about the kingdom of heaven, okay? Nothing new about that. It's a simile. We're talking about God's kingdom, very simply. The scene is set in the first verse. We have ten virgins who took lamps and went out to meet a bridegroom. We know there's a wedding taking place, right? And ten is an awful lot of virgins. Ten virgins. Now, the word is a literal translation. Uh, the ten virgin could be also seen as uh, bridesmaids. Okay, it's the same idea. Um, so we know the setting of the story. The next thing that we find out is very interesting. In verse 2, we find out something about them. And notice how they're separated out. Five were foolish and five were wise. Five were foolish and five were wise. Wow, what does that mean anyway? Well, the Amplified Translation says, five of them were foolish, thoughtless, without forethought. And the five were wise, sensible, intelligent, and prudent. Okay, interesting. It tells us a little more about them. It describes them a little bit. But the original words that we're looking at are these. The word foolish is moros, which means dull, stupid, or heedless, a blockhead. And I always think of Charlie Brown when I think of blockhead. Um, but the word we're looking at here is the root of the word moron. Okay, that's the word that we use. This is not pretty, okay? Five of these, of these bridesmaids are not in a pretty situation. What about the wise? We're looking at phronimos, which means thoughtful, sagacious, discreet, a cautious character. Very strong contrast between the two uh, people, and yet they're all bridesmaids. They are all bridesmaids, okay? The next thing we learn in verses 3 and 4 is why they are given these words as descriptors. The foolish one took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. <sighs> oh my, not a pretty situation. The choices that they have made reflect who they are. Not unlike the choices we make reflect who we are. Okay? And then in verse 5, uh, this thing about the bridesmaids, bridegroom being a long time in coming, and they became drowsy and fell asleep. One of the things that's not part of this parable uh, has a lot to do with the culture uh, of the ancient Middle East. The tradition was that if there was going to be a wedding, that the, the groom would hold a giant banquet for everybody, and that would be basically the, the ceremony or the wedding it, itself. And it would take place at his house. And the tradition was that when the day and time of the wedding was to take place, he would uh, go off with his groomsmen and collect the bride, usually in the same village or somewhere nearby. And when the bride was ready, she would get onto an animal of some sort and ride back for the banquet. Now, the other thing that, take, that used to take place was that the, uh, 
the groom and the groomsman would basically kind of parade back because within the village, it was a wonderful, joyous time and everybody was invited to participate. So the trip back was not a direct route. The trip back usually was kind of wandering and going around here and there and it could take as long as it takes because everybody was celebrating the coming of the bridegroom. <clears throat> so that explains a couple of things. First of all, it explains uh, why the bridegroom was a long time in coming, but it also explains why they became drowsy and fell asleep. They were waiting a long time. Uh, and then we have uh, the climax of the parable right here. Verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. <clears throat> the whole purpose of this parable is to get to this point. It's all about the bridegroom arriving to meet everybody for the wedding. Now remember, this is a parable. So he's talking about something bigger here. We'll deal with that in just a few minutes. All right. The next part of the parable is all about the conflict that comes up, okay? Verse 7, all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. They got their lamps ready, and then they realized something important. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. The word that they use here for give us some of your oil, didomi, is effectively deliver up your oil, okay? It's demanding. It's not, would you please, but it is demanding. But listen to the rebuke in the next verse. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. That reply is not a no as you and I know it, but it's more like a not so. We're not going to let this happen. This is not the way to do this. It's a gentle, mild sort of rebuke. And so what happens? Well, they went out to buy their oil, which they needed to do. Um, this is verse 10, just the beginning of the verse. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. Uh, another thing about the tradition of, of buying oil in this culture and at this time was that Everybody knew that you could run out of oil any time, and so if you needed to, uh, you could go out, find the oil seller, find them, no big deal, get the oil, and you'll be good. So this is not an uncommon thing. And remember, this is midnight. So the situation is not always um, opportune for you to do this. Uh, okay. And then there's a plea and a response that takes place. The virgins who were ready went in with the bridegroom to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Very definitive right there. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. And again, we see this demanding. Uh, the, the words being used here are not, oh, please, would you open the door? It's more like, open the door for us now. Okay? Uh, 
And the reply was, truly I tell you, I don't know you. And the tense and the sense of the words here is more definitive, no. This is not the gentle rebuke of the five bridesmaids, but it is a definitive no. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So what do we see here going on in this parable? What's going on? Well, let's make a few observations first. Uh, terrible, isn't it? <laughs> Just a few observations that we need to make. Let's see if we oh, thank you. Um, first of all, this is a comment on the women and the role of women. And it's, and it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, Jesus, as he teaches, oftentimes will bring in women in his stories and parables. And the unusual thing is that this is a very patriarchal culture and time. And to do this really says something to these people, and they would have understood that. It actually affirms the value of women in the kingdom of God in this place. And I see uh, in this a very simple thought that every single one of us is important. No one is less important than any other. That was a message that was important then, but I think we need to hear that now too. Everyone is important in God's sight. Everyone. The other thing to think about in using a woman in this parable, or women in this parable in this case, um, oftentimes in John, Gospel of John, and in Revelation, we see the church identified as female. And so we're supposed to see us, if you will, as the bride. The bride that is part of, the, the unspoken part of this parable. We are the ones that are going to be at this great banquet and this great feast that will take place. And you'll notice that when the females show up, they show up as wise and foolish. Oh my. Okay, the next thing we need to think about uh, just observing this parable. We borrow things. It happens all the time. We are good at it. We know that if we borrow something, we have an obligation to return it. But speaking about the kingdom of God, making a direct application, we can't borrow faith. We cannot borrow faith, okay? The family you grew up in, their faith doesn't count when you become an adult and reach maturity. Your faith has to be your faith. You can't take that from somebody else. So that means for us that we have to make a commitment when we choose to follow Christ. We have to commit to being disciples. We have to commit to do with doing the things that need to be done 
to make us healthy in God's sight. We participate in the kingdom of God with our resources, with our faith, not anybody else's. Another thing to see here is that we need to think about the long haul, the long picture. We need to be committed. Uh, right away at the beginning of this parable, we know that, that five of these bridesmaids were not committed. They weren't thinking about anything other than right now I'm going to go to the banquet, okay? But that's not the reality. The reality is we need to make a commitment. Uh, Advanced planning is necessary. And uh, we need to have reserves. We don't know when the bridegroom is going to arrive. And the only way we can do that is by committing ourselves. When the bridegroom arrives, if we are not prepared, we are not going to be able to turn on our discipleship and have it. We can't just make it happen now. That's not the way it works. You will not be able to snap your fingers and become a mature Christian. It is something we have to cultivate. Then the last thing to think about in this parable is failure. Uh, We don't like to talk about failure a lot, but I think we need to. When things go wrong, problems are not solved by shouting at others. Did you know that? Uh, I learned that very early. You'll notice in verse 8, we have uh, the ten virgins, bridesmaids, screaming at their opposite number. It didn't make a difference. It didn't help. They scream at the bridegroom. We don't see the door opening. I like the saying that Kenneth Bailey has in Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. He writes, In the kingdom of God, barking orders at others is not an acceptable way to try to solve problems created by our inadequacies. It's not my fault. That's not the way it works. Not the way it works. So a couple more things, uh, then we'll close for today. In general... And these are just big observations about where Jesus uh, is, is at and thinking and what we're supposed to take away from this parable. In Jesus' ministry, we see that there are many times when he is disappointed by the people that he encounters. It seems that very few people are prepared, okay? Uh, if we look back in the Gospels, we'll find Simeon and Anna we're waiting for Jesus. We find Nicodemus. Uh, most of the disciples were kind of ready, which is good, right? But the high priests, not ready. Jesus' own hometown, not ready. And most of the Pharisees had no idea what was going on. Uh, we find the shepherds and the wise men are prepared. They are ready and waiting for this sign, this signal, and they know what to do. Herod was not. You'll notice a lot of the people that are not prepared are too often the people in high places. They're too busy looking out for themselves. 
The other thing I think that we can look at here is there's a bit of a challenge and a warning for us. Since we don't know when the second coming is going to happen, uh, and this is what this parable really is looking forward to, uh, we need to recognize that when the bridegroom arrives, even if you've been, you think you're, you're ready, there is a chance that you will not get in if you are not prepared. You can think that you're ready, but if you've not made preparations, if you've not made the discipleship your life, if you've not done the work you need to do as an individual, you can have a really hard time because that door may close. And the door that we're talking about is a door that will close. And that's something I don't even want to think about. But the reality is there will be a time when time will be over. The second coming will happen and you will either be in or you will be out. And that's it. And the third thing, of course, or the fourth thing, I guess it is, in this, this final list here, is remember that in a parable, things are not exactly what they, what they say they are. And the bridegroom, if you remember, is Jesus. Always place him in that position. The church is the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom. And he is willing, waiting, and wanting to greet us. He is prepared and wants to be our joyful cheerleader at that time. But to do that, we have to get in. We have to get in. There is a blessing for those who are willing and waiting to wait for the bridegroom, for Jesus. So, what does this tell us about how to look at the year 2020. Prepare for the known, I told you, was the title uh, that I chose for this lesson. This parable is that. Prepare. We know what's going to take place. Jesus is going to be coming. It's going to happen. Get yourself ready. Do the things that you need to do now because you don't know when it's going to come. You don't know when it's going to happen. Be watchful. Uh, keep your lamp filled if you can, if you will, and have reserves. We really are talking about a very simple and basic thing in the faith. And that is the whole idea of discipleship for life. A life filled with discipleship will take you many, many places. But I think uh, this, to me, the first thing I thought of when I started putting this together at this point was it takes us back to something we've been talking about for a couple months now, and that is Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All of these things are aspects of discipleship where we need to be and what we need to be doing. Well, uh, my, uh, my look back, my look forward, 
my look into the parable has been uh, pretty quick, pretty straightforward, pretty simple. But I've got one uh, last note. Going into this year, uh, it will get a little messy at times. That is the nature of working with family. That is the nature of learning. That is the nature of mentoring and being mentored. Things will get messy. And I got to tell you, it's okay. Sometimes we learn really well in the worst mess. And uh, I think we're going to have a great year this coming year. I hope you feel that way, and I hope you're encouraged uh, to do that. Well, I've not talked at all about the idea of baptism and what that means. Uh, I've not talked at all about uh, coming to Jesus and, and getting rid of your sins. I've not talked a whole lot about prayer. But I do want to encourage you, if you will, uh, to come forward if you have a concern for prayer. I'll be definitely willing to, to uh, talk to you about that. We're going to have a song here. Dylan's going to lead us in another song. And uh, if you want to get baptized, we're ready. The water is there, and it's all, all set. So why don't you stand, and we'll sing. Oh, no, I'm back. <laughs> the only thing I'm going to say about this song is that this world is not our home. 